Welcome back to America. Can we talk? I just want to say a kind word of praise by Dr. Jerome Corsi. We've been texting off air. And, you know, if you've been following this story about Mueller and the attempt of Mueller to just strong arm, set a perjury trap for person after person after person. You, and, and what I really want to commend is that more of these people that Mueller's trying to do this are saying no. They are standing up. They're saying, I won't play your game. Folks, this is a most dangerous game because half of the politicians in Washington are fine with what Mueller is doing, not just to people like Jerome Corsi and uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn and Manafort and George Papadopoulos. The list of people he has coerced into and duped into committing some crime is, is, you know, it's getting lengthy. But the idea that you just let him do it cannot stand. We cannot agree that we're just going to let him run, let that whole entire investigation run roughshod over America and over the, the freedom and the idea of the rule of law, the idea of freedom in America. So Jerome Corsi, what he is, his position, he's been on all sorts of other shows. So I'm sure you, you may have seen him on Tucker Carlson, all sorts of shows. Didn't get to hook up tonight. Um, we're going to get him on another time. But what he had to say, what he was going to say was, as we're texting was, you know, he he made a mistake in an answer to the FBI. He cooperated fully, gave them all of his email uh, that he had, his email passwords, his Twitter account, Twitter passwords, his it's everything he had. And they have all the information in front of them. And, you know, he doesn't. He's just sitting there being questioned. And then to be asked, you know, did you forward a particular email? He said no, because he thought he didn't. The idea that that's going to be the basis to send someone to federal prison or to threaten them with a long prison sentence unless they will help you somehow destroy the duly elected president of the United States. That's the deal the Mueller team is pushing. And we're going to talk in the next segment. We have a great guy coming on, um, Hans von Spakovsky from the Heritage Foundation, who's going to talk about the attack by the American left on another player newly involved in this, the, the newly appointed acting attorney general, Matt Whitaker, and the left is out of their minds finding reasons that he shouldn't be allowed to be the acting attorney general. The core reason really is because he actually thinks and has said in public that the Mueller investigation is out of control that the Mueller team ought to actually be looking at only what they were asked to look at and not into every potential criminal wrongdoing of everybody who's ever talked to President Trump in their entire life, which is pretty much what the Mueller team is doing. So that's what we hear about from him. But this is really a cruise to the news, top of the hour. I uh, have a bunch of stories, which I wish I had more time to share with you. But um, if you listen to the show very often, you know I can talk pretty fast. I want to share with you some of these stories. One is you may have read there was a ruling. You know, there was a prosecution ongoing in uh, the state of Michigan of a couple of doctors, Muslim doctors who had committed FGM, female genital mutilation, an Islamic practice, horrific, violent, barbaric, disgusting practice. 
And in Michigan, these two doctors had committed FGM on a whole bunch of kids, of young girls, which is, which is I mean, tonight's not the night to go into the details about it. But the point is, this federal district court judge threw out the federal FGM prohibition law, the federal law that says that you cannot commit female genital mutilation in America, that's a crime, threw the entire law out as unconstitutional. I'm going to leave aside, I will tell you in a moment what the reasoning was, but to be really clear, this judge did not say that FGM can be committed, uh, can, you can carry out FGM based on a religious freedom argument. He did not find that Muslims have the religious freedom basis to commit FGM. He did not find that FGM is permissible in America. He did not accept, um, condone the practice in any way. It was just basically a ruling saying that um, this is a federal, it was a federalism ruling. It's a, it's a federal, the federal government doesn't have the right to make a crime, to write a law about what should be a state-based prosecution of a crime. There is a state law Michigan outlawing FGM. I hope they go after the doctors for that. Okay, there was a man, no kidding, named Muhammad Muhammad, who uh, was arrested for trying to drive down Jewish people, run over with his car as they left a Los Angeles synagogue. Um, unbelievable story. Um, there are protests in Paris right now, and this is kind of interesting. Protests in Paris over rising taxes and rising costs. And what's really what these people are protesting is, in part, the changes in policy they had to make in Paris, in France, because of their commitment to the climate change treaty, the whole climate change um, thing. They are basically, these are 200 people arrested, dozens injured, violent protests, basically over costs, over taxes and rising gas prices, again tied to the climate change agenda. A fabulous on changing the subject, a fabulous professor. I want to get in the show sometime. Her name is Amy Wack. She's a professor of law, and um, she had a great idea for laws that should how we fix the free speech problem on campus. She's saying we should outlaw the words um, "I'm offended." I'm sure the whole point is I'm going to try to get her on the show. She's really good. She's basically saying instead of complaining about and you know the unbelievable ridiculous political correctness um, on, on college campuses, why don't you outlaw the idea of claiming you're offended? Stop being offended. Discuss the substance of the issue. Last quicks on this cruise of the news, Brenda Snipes, the uh, Broward County uh, elections administrator who's caused so much trouble, she resigned. She withdrew her resignation. She's back. I'm Debbie Georges, America Can We Talk. Come right back after the break. We have a great guy from Heritage. Patriot Paws Service Dogs is a national nonprofit whose only mission is to train and provide service dogs of the highest quality at no cost to disabled veterans with mobile disabilities. Patriot Paws has unique partnerships with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice and with Texas A&M University to help train their dogs. Not only are the dogs saving veterans' lives, they're changing lives from prison cells to college dorms. It takes two years and costs $34,000 to train one Patriot Paws service dog for a disabled veteran. Would you consider helping a disabled veteran get a service dog? Visit PatriotPaws.org. Patriot Paws has over 80 veterans waiting for a service dog and receives hundreds of calls each month from other veterans asking for help. Visit PatriotPaws.org and find out how you can help. Follow Patriot Paws on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and consider a donation at PatriotPaws.org. 
Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with Five Talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. Sometimes I just love to let my music play out a little bit at the beginning of the segment. But we have online tonight uh, the person I mentioned before the break briefly. Uh, we have on Hans von Spakovsky, um, and he is just one impressive uh, expert in so many ways. He's with the Heritage Foundation, Washington, D.C. Um, he's a senior legal fellow there. He's the uh, head of the uh, foundation's Edwin Meese, uh, the third center for legal and judicial studies. He has a background, though, in election law and, and in uh, detecting and 
and uh, solving election fraud problems. Um, he has worked the Justice Department as a, sp- a special assistant attorney general for civil rights. So just a, a very accomplished um, guy. And I'm so great to have him. And I believe you have him online. Hi, Hans. Hey, Debbie. How are you doing? Just great. I'm so glad to have you join us. So well, thanks for having me on. I love it. Okay, so I want to jump in and talk about, we've been on tonight and on my show, we've been talking a lot about the um, stirring in Washington under the Mueller uh, investigation and the latest on that news. And it just seems like every step of the way, there's a, a chorus of criticism for things that President Trump does and says. And one thing that has just seem to have uh, brought out the long knives again, uh, is President Trump's appointment of Matthew Whitaker as acting attorney general. And so he's in place and, and in that job. But I want to quick run through with you and your legal expertise. One challenge was made, I believe, by the Maryland attorney general that it was not permissible for President Trump to appoint uh, Matthew Whitaker as acting attorney general. So what is that about? Well, first of all, it's important to say that um, the president acted fully within federal law. There's actually a a law called the Federal Vacancies Reform Act, and it lays out the rules for uh, the president appointing a uh, a, a temporary replacement for folks in the executive branch, including Senate-confirmed positions like the the, uh, attorney general spot. So uh, the president acted fully within the provisions of that particular statute. And that's important for people to understand because that statute's been in place now for quite a while, and prior presidents, including President Obama, used that very same statute to make similar appointments. What the Maryland uh, AG is saying is that, well, yeah, maybe he acted within the statute, but it's somehow unconstitutional to put someone uh, into a slot, even temporarily, that requires Senate confirmation. Um, That's not an issue that the Supreme Court has looked at very recently. Um, The Justice Department put out an opinion about two weeks ago that pointed out that these kind of temporary appointments, when a Senate-confirmed person leaves, these have been made since George Washington was president, and the Supreme Court said in a case in the late 1800s that, yes, this could be done on a temporary basis. So that's kind of the, stat, the state of the law right now. Well, you know, on top of that, and I know you pointed out, and by the way, for our listeners, uh, if you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Hans von Spakovsky of the Heritage Foundation. I will mention that one article you wrote called Acting AG Matt Whitaker has no conflict of interest and no reason to recuse himself. That is up at our website, americacanwetalk.org. You ought to read this because he really lays out these arguments well. But you make the point in the article that the opposition to Matt Whitaker is really not this technical legal uh, thing we're speaking of. But really, it's a political attack. And it's essentially not wanting to have someone who actually has in the past called public attention to the fact that the Mueller investigation has greatly exceeded the bounds upon which it was originally launched. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, that that's the, uh, you know, some folks are saying, well, he, he was improperly appointed. I, I don't think they really have the law on, on their side on that. So the other claim being made is that he has some kind of conflict of interest. 
And they're pointing to the fact that uh, shortly after Mueller was appointed, when Whitaker was not working for the Justice Department, he was a private citizen, but he was also a a commenter on CNN. Uh, Back then he said, well, uh, the special counsel doesn't seem to have much evidence uh, of any kind of collusion between the Trump campaign and uh, the Russian government. So he's being criticized for having said that. Well, look. That was last year. We're now a year and a half into the investigation, and to date, Bob Mueller has produced not a single piece of evidence of any kind showing any kind of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. So what what Whitaker said a year and a half ago was accurate. It's still accurate still today. Still is today. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other thing he been, has been criticized uh, for, including by Chuck Schumer, was that he said last year, well, there doesn't seem to be uh, a case here for obstruction of justice by the president. Well, again, uh, he was completely accurate. And one of the reasons he was accurate is that it's the long-held opinion of the Justice Department, first voiced back in the 1970s, that um, a sitting president constitutionally cannot be criminally indicted or criminally charged. Um, So there is no obstruction of justice charge that can be uh, brought against the president, no matter what uh, Mueller finds. The only way a president um, can be removed from office for any kind of possibly criminal behavior is through the impeachment process. You know, I'm glad you said that, and we've talked about that in the show other times. But let me turn this back to Matt Whitaker. So former... um, uh, U.S. Attorney, uh, excuse me, U.S. Attorney, U.S. Attorney General, former counsel to President George W. Bush, Alberto Gonzalez, has uh, leaped into the fray here to say, well, even if it, he didn't think Whitaker should have been appointed, but even if you know appears as legal that he was appointed, he is arguing that uh, because of his past statements, Whitaker should completely immune himself or stay out of entirely of no role in the Mueller investigation happening while he's acting Attorney General. What do you say to that? Well, I actually was at the Justice Department when Alberto Gonzalez was appointed, and I have to tell you, I think he was one of the worst AGs that got appointed in recent decades, and he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. Look, there are very specific, clear rules set out in regulations of the Justice Department that say when you've got a conflict of interest. And uh, Matt Whitaker doesn't fall within those provisions. He has no conflict of interest. There's no reason for him to recuse himself because of uh, comments that he made when he was, one, a private citizen and no law, not yet at the Justice Department, and second, had no access to um, any of the you know, non-public information that Mueller may have. So I'm sorry, but Mr. Gonzalez just doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm a lawyer by background, too, although I don't have your um, the, the breadth of background you have legally. But I'm a lawyer, too. I had that same reaction. And, you know, in addition, it just seems like Alberto Gonzalez, it is that, that um, I don't know the word, Pollyanna. But just, just, I mean, it seems to me like he has this... Uh, 
I don't know, prissy Pollyanna attitude toward the Mueller investigation, toward the, the he, he doesn't see it for the for the political attack that it is. So he's he's trying to pretend it's all a straight arrow, straight and narrow. Everything's fine here. Investigation. And I think I mean, I my kind of personal reaction was I'm glad that somebody in the just in the uh, attorney general's office seems to have some support for President Trump or at least isn't a sworn enemy. Maybe you don't want to comment on that. I don't know if you're supposed to, but I'd love to hear what you think. Well, what I think is that um, I, I don't think Mueller's investigation has been properly supervised the way it should be. Um, under the regulations, again, that, that govern the appointment of a special counsel, um, he's supposed, the work he does and the investigation he conducts is supposed to be supervised by the attorney general. And uh, I frankly don't think that Rod Rosenstein has done a very good job of that, particularly uh, keeping him within the bounds of what he was supposed to be investigating, which was Russian collusion, if there was any, between the Trump campaign and the, the Russian government. All of the indictments, all of the indictments we've seen uh, from uh, Mueller's office have had absolutely nothing to do with that nothing to do with the election, and that includes, frankly, the most recent plea agreements, the one last week that, that the New York Times and others make such a big deal about with, with Michael Cohen. Again, Cohen was uh, agreed to, in a plea agreement to, uh, to pleading guilty to lying to Congress about a real estate deal he had been working on, a real estate deal that had nothing to do with the election. Absolutely right. And that's actually what we were talked about uh, in my first five tonight. And we're going to come back after our break and talk a little more about that. We're speaking with Hans von Spakowski. I also want to ask when we come back about this ballot harvesting issue in California. It really matters. Folks, Debbie, George, Jazz, Merrick, can we talk? Come right back. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing 
the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. We have online with us tonight from the Heritage Foundation, Hans von Spakovsky. And what I hey, want... Hey, Debbie. Hey there. Welcome back. I want to mention to our listeners, before we talk about these issues, your background uh, relating to election law. Uh, prior to joining Heritage in 2008, uh, you'd served as, for two years as a member of the Federal Election Commission. Before that, at the Justice Department, as counsel to the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights, providing expertise in enforcing the Voting, right, Voting Rights Act and the Help America Vote Act. And you also appointed by President Trump to the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election, election Integrity. And I want to share that background because I want to ask your opinion about there are stories coming out of California. And uh, for our listeners, I think I've mentioned this before, but there were uh, six election, six uh, U.S. House elections in California where it appeared on election night that the Republican in this this kind of traditional Republican stronghold area, six Republicans had been reelected. And by the time all the votes were counted, which was days later, one of the Republicans had even gone through new member of Congress training in Washington 
discovered that with the later votes counted, the Democrats won all six of those seats. Part of what they were talking about is a term, a, 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 a you know what to call it, a policy or a, a, something that was carried out called ballot harvesting. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, uh, Orange County for uh, Orange County, for example, which is where those House seats all went Democratic, and it's something part of what you were talking about. Um, it's because all of a sudden, after Election Day, there were huge numbers of uh, mail-in ballots, absentee ballots coming in, and vote harvesting is what they were talking about to get those, and that's unfortunately. Uh, was made legal in California two two years ago. And what they're talking about is this. Um, Look, you can cast absentee ballots uh, all over the country, but in most states, uh, those absentee ballots have to either be mailed in or if they're returned in person, um, they have to be returned either by the person who actually uh, voted the absentee ballot, the, the registered voter, or by their family or someone who uh, lives in their household. And the point of that is to prevent vote harvesting. Vote harvesting, uh, which is now going on in California, allows anybody to physically return um, an absentee or mail-in ballot. And the problem with that is that, um, look, any of the large absentee ballot fraud cases that I've written about and documented um, the way those happen is you have people working for uh, candidates, you have folks working for political parties going in and basically collecting absentee ballots from voters. And oftentimes in those cases, they are forging the signatures on those ballots or they're intimidating, uh, particularly people who are poor into voting the way they, the vote harvesters, tell them to vote. And anybody who doubts that, uh, I suggest they take a look at the fact that about a month and a half before this past election in Texas, the Texas AG um, criminally indicted four women in Tarrant County for doing exactly that. And that's the way those kind of absentee ballots are collected, either, like I said, uh, forging the signatures of of voters or getting them to sign the ballots, but then the vote harvesters actually fill in the vote, or just simply going in um, to the homes and residences of these voters and saying, this is the way you'd better vote. And that's made possible by laws like the one in, in California that allows anyone to deliver an absentee ballot. That bill you're referring to, California, a, the bill number, California AB 1921, um, it was, yeah, as you say, past two years ago, it was really designed to, I mean, there's always the argument made when laws like that are passed, well, we're just trying to make voting easier. We want to have fewer impediments in the process. Why should it have to be someone in the household? But it just opens the door for so much potential fraud. And in addition to the kind of uh, examples you gave, um, Hans, there's also, there was talk in Texas about, this is where our show is, my show is in Dallas, Texas, talk in Texas about people who would discover that uh, you had a senior citizen or, or someone disabled not able to get out of the house where they would uh, encourage them to request their mail-in ballot, have it sent to them. They'd even intercept it before it even got to the voter. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly right. Again, some of the cases that I've I've documented, um, you actually had uh, the, the the vote conspirators, the people who were stealing these ballots. Um, this was a case down in Mississippi. Uh, they would follow the U.S. postal truck, yep. <laughs> in, particularly in poor neighborhoods, follow them um, to make to get the absentee ballots that were being delivered, uh, particularly in poor, often in minority neighborhoods. Yeah, it is just it's beyond belief. And, you know, when you begin to have people no longer trust the election integrity, that they just they hear things like this happen, you can understand why people throw their hands up. Why vote? Because there's so much cheating going on. So I want to turn to how you solve this. Obviously, the, the California law that permits anyone to return a pile of mail-in ballots and they don't know where they got them from, they don't have to verify them, they just dump them at the election, <laughs> the election headquarters and, and march on and those uh, ballots get counted. So maybe you have that kind of change. You want to push having something more uh, under, uh, you know, more restrictive practices with respect to mail-in ballots. But but I want to get up because you're a smart lawyer in Washington. What power does the federal government have in in this kind of context? I know that, generally speaking, elections are controlled by state law, but could the federal government, for example, pass a law that says if your system does not require, you know, mail-in ballots to be returned by a family member or in a bunch of requirements, your votes cannot count in federal elections. Is that even possibly constitutional? You know, it depends on it depends on how the statute is written. I, I can tell you, you're not going to get that out of uh, Congress because of the fact that you now have Democrats controlling um, the U.S. House, and they're not going to agree to that. Oh, look, over the past uh, uh, two decades, um, Democrats have been against anything that would increase the security and integrity of the election process. They've demonstrated that on numerous occasions, um, and it just it isn't going to happen. And, and look, anytime states have done things to try to prevent this kind of thing from happening, in fact, you get uh, Democrats with their friends – in liberal advocacy groups and in, in organizations like the League of Women Voters, suing in the courts to prevent it. I'm going to give you a quick example of what I mean. Um, Kansas actually passed a great statute to try to prevent this kind of thing from happening. Um, they, Kansas passed a law that said uh, not only do you have to show an ID when you vote in person, but you've got to send in a photocopy of that same kind of ID with an absentee ballot request to try to prevent this kind of of fraudulent activity with absentee ballots. And, of course, what happened? They got sued by the Democratic Party and by the left. Now, fortunately, that law survived the court challenges and, and is in place. But in other parts of the country, the left is always suing to try to prevent anything that's going to improve the integrity of the election process. You know, you wrote a book a few years ago with John Fund, Who's Counting? Right. Yeah. I want to make sure to tell our listeners about it. Who's Counting? How Fraudsters and Bureaucrats Put Your Vote at Risk, um, and also Obama's Enforcer, Eric Holder's Justice Department in 2014. I do think this is an area, you know, in the next two years, people have been talking, what do we do in the next two years? Weren't People weren't all that happy, especially in Texas, honestly, with our election outcomes. How do you at least fix voter integrity? So we only have a minute left in this segment, but if you had... Free reign, what would you do within the confines of the Constitution to fix voter integrity in this country? And where can you tell our listeners to go if they want to do something about it? 
the best way to try to fix this, frankly, is at the state level with state legislatures, and that means passing laws that, for example, require you to show a, a government-issued photo ID when you vote not only in person, but if you want to vote through absentee ballots. Uh, another big problem we've got is with people who aren't U.S. citizens uh, registering and voting and getting away with it. You can, you can prevent that by doing things like requiring that when you register to vote, you've got to provide proof of citizenship or, or uh, say something that ought to be done in every state that isn't. Um, when folks get called for jury duty and they're excused because they are not a U.S. citizen, that information isn't making it back to election officials. To take them so off the can, voter rolls. <laughs> right, take them off the voter rolls. What a good thought. Hans, I have to say, we're speaking again, listeners, with Hans von Spakovsky, just a great, great uh, patriot and uh uh, he's with Heritage Foundation. I can't thank you enough for calling in tonight and talking about this issue, talking about the uh, Matt Whitaker Attorney General issue. Thank you so much. Sure. Thanks for having me. Okay, folks, you come back after the break. I have a very serious last segment about the future of America. Come back, Facebook Live in four minutes. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty, From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit 
are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. I'm so glad you've tuned in. And I love this doing my show every week. I just appreciate so much having the opportunity to speak to you, to speak to America. Every week I do this show Sunday evening, 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time on Salem stations, but it also goes out on Facebook Live. So if you're listening on radio or you're watching this video um, on Facebook, know that every Sunday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time, plus I do a podcast, a deep dive onto a one topic on Wednesday afternoons at 3 p.m. Central Time, right here on Facebook Live at America Can We Talk. Uh, this week, I'm going to do the deep dive uh, about the criminal justice prison reform bill. Some people calling it the prison break bill, other people calling it criminal justice reform. I really want to touch on both sides of that and, and talk about I. And talk about what we should do as a nation. Um, I also want to mention to our listeners that if you're in the Dallas area, there is going to be a luncheon uh, in Dallas on Monday, December 17th. It features uh, a young, just rock star young woman named Candace Owens. This is the annual Christmas luncheon for the Park City's Republican women, and Candace Owens is the keynote speaker. It's a luncheon on Monday, December 17th, and um, if you're interested, if you're watching on Facebook, you can scroll down. I'm putting in on Facebook the link to be able to buy a ticket. Uh, We'd love to have you join us. Candace Owens is a young African-American woman who has become thoroughly engaged as a Republican activist. She uh, works with Turning Point USA, the group that Charlie Kirk's group that goes on college campuses, tries to talk to young people about uh, voting conservatively, voting to prevent socialism in this country, voting to keep America free and strong. She's a stellar advocate, and she really is speaking very directly to the African-American community in this country, saying essentially— we kind of vote as a monolithic block for the Democrat Party. And as she often says, name one thing they've ever actually done that's helped the black family. 
name something because there is nothing. She's just stellar. So she'll be, this will be going to be a great lunch in the Dallas area. Love to have you come. And, um, and actually you can always email me at America. Can we talk at gmail.com? I will send you the link to purchase your ticket. It is a, it's a, you have to buy a ticket to go. Uh, but again, Monday, December 17th, a luncheon, email me at America. Can we talk at gmail.com? I also want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show. The sponsor of America. Can we talk is GC works, which is a Dallas based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Cannot thank them enough. Couldn't do the show without them. So thank you. GC works our sponsor. Um, well, for sure, please to tune in on Wednesday in the podcast. Okay, my last segment tonight, this is actually a really serious thing I want to talk about. Um, I mean, everything I talk about, I don't, as I always say to people, they ask what my show is about. I don't really shoot the breeze about the Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys, although I'm happy when they win. Uh, I don't really talk about, I don't critique um, candidates and elected officials and their clothing and their hairstyles and their, uh, you know, missteps. It's really a very substantive show making the argument that America is the most extraordinary, exceptional country on the planet Earth, that it must be preserved by people of every generation who understand its unique greatness, who recognize that it's a fragile greatness. The ideas on which America was founded are stellar, rock solid, and when we hold on to them and to the structure Provided by our founders in the Constitution, we keep government limited, we keep government, we keep the separation of powers, we keep the federal government at a distance. We do, we follow through on the, on the solid building blocks of America created uh, in our founding. Uh, we can perpetuate America's greatness, but there are many, many things that go into the unique greatness of America. And I try my show to talk about the issues we face, but always tie them back to those extraordinary, important founding values. What I want to talk about in this last segment is this. There is so much talk in America, um, in all sorts of political um, venues, on Facebook, at conferences, in newsletters, by substantive serious, serious pundits and thinkers, essentially saying that we are really at a very challenging place in America right now because... Of, of several factors, and I'm just going to lay them out and then tell you what I, what I, how I see our solutions coming. Just as one example, there was a survey of young Americans, of millennials, or maybe even younger than millennials, but young people. No, it was, uh, it was people under 21. A survey done um, by a group that's based here in Dallas called FLAG, Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. And uh, that's actually founded by a friend of ours, Nick Adams. He's been on the show many times. Uh, but they did a survey of, of young people. And the, among the most troubling things about their these young people's view of America was about half of them surveyed, actually to start with, about half of those surveyed under age 38 said they viewed the United States states as either a sexist or racist nation. Uh, four in 10 uh, under 21 said Barack Obama had a bigger impact on America than George Washington. They, they went on and on with basically what I want to say, what I'm getting at in this portion of this segment is that there are a lot of people, we, we lament when we talk about what happens on college campuses and what's taught in the elementary schools and the high schools, what are, what are kids learning. We lament how much there is a failure to pass along to the next generation 
by the schools, including the colleges, about the unique greatness of America, the greatness of a country founded on the Declaration of Independence idea that all men are created equal and women, and that we're endowed by our creator with rights. Simply because we were born, we have rights, this idea of natural rights, and that government and country exist to protect those rights, to nurture the individual, to protect the individual's ability to pursue his or her life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. These ideas are not taught. And because they're not taught, and instead of being taught, many young people are hearing what the mainstream media preaches about America, which is just Democrat media mob garbage about America, about a country filled with sexists and racists and xenophobes and homophobes and all the things that the left spends time trying to paint America as. We're looking at the consequence that there is a a wide swath of young Americans who have no idea what America's greatness is. They don't know what it means. They hear, they hear the left saying that the American great, the idea of America's greatness is something to do with the you know um, white old man sitting around writing the Constitution or, or some just ridiculous thing. But it's really important to understand that the messages of the left have penetrated, especially young people. The second point I want to make: a very very good friend of mine who came to America from a communist country fled Yugoslavia to come to America for freedom. He wrote an email today and he said, he talked about how when you live in a country with a government controlled society, he said, survival tools people acquire in a police state become instincts. He's talking about living in a police state, a communist controlled country like Yugoslavia. You develop a skill, a survival skill of, uh, you know, acquire, he said, a police state become instincts, something people in this country do not have. So when we first started hearing terms like the thought police and government trying to control your thought and hate crimes, he said, you know, too many people rejected it as a silly thing. And he said, now thought police has become a reality. But people say, well, that's how it is now. It'll fade away. He's getting at the idea there's a growing acceptance in America of the idea that it's okay for our thoughts to be policed by others, controlled by others, and that some people are permitted to shut down others. The reason he wrote that email, he was sending a link to an article he wanted to share with this group of kind of conservative thinkers, but the people who put the article up had to take it down because college students had threatened the lives of the people who wrote this paper. I don't even know what the paper was. Probably something advocating for freedom and free markets. The point is, he's lamenting there's a growing cultural acceptance in America by people that it's okay to silence somebody else because they might be saying things that you don't like or agree with. And if you don't like them, you can shut them down. And you have academia saluting to that mindset. Third thing happening is... We've talked about so much in the show how we have this group grievance mindset. It lives and the left, the the anti-American left has no place to go policy wise in this country. So they generate this group grievance, group identity mindset. And and we can criticize it among conservative thinkers, among patriots. But we have to recognize how much is permeated Young people, they actually think in these terms. They don't hear these things and have the same gut reaction that more experienced and educated and thoughtful adults have 
where you reject it. They actually think that's what America is, that they look around their country, and all it consists of is that in identity politics groups, and you have identity politics of victims, and you have identity politics of bad guys and bad people, and then you have group guilt on top of that, of that group identity stuff, and so you end up with a, a deeply divided, resentful country that we're not talking about anything. We're not talking about issues anymore. We're talking about the group grievance and the American right, or to put it more broadly, people who love the goodness of America are constantly on the defense trying to defend America, trying to refute these allegations of the group grievance industry. We're constantly on the defense. One other point I want to add to this before I get to my final thing I want to say is, you know, there's a book by Steve or Stephen Moore reviewed a book called Know Thine Enemy, A History of the Left. He makes the argument and this book makes the argument. Stephen Moore points out that the that the left leftist mindset we're seeing in America today. This is this began 100 years ago or more. That leftist mindset that drives God out of society, drives family uh, into submission to the state. It is it has gone on for decades and where it's now really blocked and grown in America to a very visible force. The American left is not in the American play ballpark anymore. They're not in the American field. They're living, the, 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 not the everyday Democrat, your neighbor down the street, but the people in Washington running the Democrat Party, they are simply Marxists. They are not on the American playing field. So this history of the left, vital to understand. We'll be talking a lot more about that all next year. Dennis Prager had a quote, quote, if you do not understand the left is a wholly destructive force whose primary mission is to tear down the leading institutions and individuals of the Western world, you do not understand the left. And this is what I want in my closing tonight to tell you as we go forward in the show this year, the rest of this month, the next year is we have to decide as Americans that we are going to unite around the founding ideas of America. We're going to reject. We have to have just like the Brexit people walked away from uh, the, in the European Union, walked away from the European Union. And like Candace Owens is arguing Brexit, black America should walk away from the Democrat Party. We Americans have to walk away from identity politics. We have to decide we're not playing the game at their level. We're playing the game on asserting the positive, unique greatness of America. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Sunday at 6, come back next week. Wednesday, 3 p.m. Central Time on Facebook Live. I do my podcast. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk. Truth About America.